Come in, ocean sailor. Come in, ocean sailor. The Ocean Sailor Podcast. Brought to you by Ocean Sailor Magazine and Kraken Yachts. We're, We're back! back. Hooray! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there you go, Dickie. <laughs> and back at last. He's back, Dick Beaumont. And he's back, Dick Durham. <laughs> As per normal, a pair of old dicks. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> and whether you like it or not, and we hope you do like us and it, we are back. Uh, and it's a great year ahead. Sorry we've been off for such a long time, but there has been a lot going on, as we do mention, with Kraken, of course, growing. Um, but just more immediately, Dick, I don't know if you're aware, but there's uh, there's been a new COVID uh, variant uh, from coming from China. <laughs> they've, they've named it Kraken. Can you believe that? Well, yeah, I don't know if it came from China. I, and I've I, apparently it's running rife in uh, Australia. And, and it's also been named that in the UK, the oh, Kraken okay. virus. Yeah. 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 And uh, apparently it was they've named it that because... It was found in a wet fish market after it had killed off all the oysters. Oh, no. <laughs> oh that's terrible. That's worse than one of your jokes, Dick. Yes, <laughs> it actually is. But we're both laughing, so it must be quite funny. Um, but so, Dave, you don't mind being known as an invasive species then, Dick? <laughs> yeah, well, we seem to have done that, actually, Dick. We, we do seem to... Uh, have muscled our way into the market. Oh, as very good. Say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, all good. But yeah, I mean, do you realise, Dick? It, it's been almost a year, February last year, since we put the last podcast out. It, it, it is. It's you know, astonishing. It's, that's gone whoosh, hasn't it? it has. That time. You know? Well, I didn't realise that until we spoke to Tristan Grace. You know, on the on the, on the yeah. team, who told us that uh, it had been that long, and that surprised me. But then. What is quite encouraging is that we haven't, well, rather, we have been missed, according to all the social media posts. Yeah, so yeah, where you are know, you? What are you doing? Where are you gone? Yeah, we've had quite, apparently, you know, Tris was telling us, you know, we've had a lot of people uh, writing writing in comments on our on the Kraken YouTube channel um, and saying, you know, what's happened to the podcast? So you know, we must have. We must have. Hopefully, we've we've given people a bit to listen to, a yeah. bit to laugh to, yeah. uh, and a, and a bit of good information as well. And I think what we're going to do now is we've got some great guests lined up, haven't we? We have indeed, uh, and especially for this one, which is episode fourteen. Yeah, um, we've got of course uh, Brian Troutman coming along from. Uh, yeah, Dallas. I mean. Such as what what really happened and what took me out the frame, despite the fact, laughingly, I'm supposed to be retired, is we just, you know, Kraken just cranked up more and more traction in the marketplace. And inquiries were coming in dozens sometimes a day of people that were interested in, in you know, in, in Kraken, which is fantastic. Um, and it just took us completely you know, out the frame to the point that we didn't even put out the second part of of uh, the podcast that we did with Brian Troutman of Delos. Right. So we'll start with that one. Because yeah, yeah. that was, actually, it was a really good podcast and uh, I did in, enjoy doing it with him. Yeah, he's a, he's a man of some uh, depth and, uh, and obviously lots of experience. And I didn't know, and again, until talking to Tristan, you know, there's been... Over fifty thousand downloads of the podcast 
I mean, I just can't believe it. No. I, don't understand, I can't understand why nobody's bang, been banging on the door saying, hey, are you that guy in the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> because they don't know what you look like in a podcast. <laughs> no, I suppose they don't. Yeah, that's true. But they do now. Yeah, but they do now yeah. because we're we're doing this as a, as a video recording. You know, and I just also would want to say that while we covered an, an awful lot of stuff and we covered it for the first time, you know, the things that we've been banging on about are still happening. Yeah. It's still going on, Dick. I don't know if you know about the latest rescue in the Sydney at Hobart, do you? Well, I, I, I know a bit about it, but not very much. I think you know a bit more than I do. But, uh, well, yeah. Is, rescued, is it a rudder failure, is it? It's a, a, yet another is rudder really? failure, yeah. yes. But unbelievable. And let's point. Let's just point out, it's a rudder without a skeg, is it not? Yes, of course. Yeah. And that's the whole big deal, as yeah. you know. That's the drum that uh, I keep banging in the soapbox. Rightly so. But it's, now, but it's banging itself. But, but listen, Dick, listen. <laughs> the crew rescued told the world that they lost their rudder because it hit a big bony fish. <laughs> Some a fish. bloody fish. Good grief. Not, not a whole pod of oyster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole pod of orcas attacking no. and trying to rip the, the, the rudder off of boats, which happens off of the coast of uh, northern Spain, as you might know. Not well, as we reported, of course. In yeah, not in a container, container. not yeah. in a whale, a bloody fish. Mm. I mean, oh, yeah, shock horror. Oh, there are fish out there. Yeah. I mean, this is just crazy. I mean, I, I you know, I'm very much into diving, as you know. And apparently they think they hit a sunfish. And sunfish are quite big. But when it gets to the scale that any fish, any fish is going to disable the yacht, I've got to tell you something. Something that, wrong somewhere. That, well, that yacht shouldn't be offshore. No, definitely That's not. how I see it. No. And, and here's the thing, Dickie. Especially in the Tasman. I well, there's the point. What I don't get is that this is the Sydney of Hobart, yeah. right? Now, every... Well, no, maybe not everybody knows the, the horrific stories of the very tragic Sydney Hobart that went very wrong. When was that? Do you remember, Dick? I think it was 2006, was it? It could have been back. Mm, it was, yeah. well, it was probably the best part of 20 years yeah. ago. It's got a lot of, you know, and it's been, I think, fairly innocuous weather since. But that's a serious bit of sea down there. Yeah. The Straits of Tasman, or Tasman Straits, whichever way you want to look at it. And, uh, you know, it's really, really heavy weather sailing when the... When the they get like what they call um, weather bombs, yeah. which are little tiny depressions. It's very, very similar to what happens uh, down off of Cape Town. Right. Um, and uh, on the, as it's called, the Cape of Storms. And although I haven't sailed down into the Tasman Sea and uh, and down to, to down south of um, down south of Sydney. I have sailed from Sydney out to New Zealand, and at that particular time, there was a four. I can remember it very clearly. It was a four hundred mile long uh, weather cold front coming uh, right the way across. There's no way of avoiding that. No, and to be going down there. You know, I know I'm to be going down there and sailing in boats that really that they shouldn't be offshore or they shouldn't be more than offshore. That's no. that's in my view. And you know, fine as you know, I'm not knocking those boats. Never have done. 
But I am saying, for goodness sake, realise that this is not a picnic when it all goes wrong. I think one of the things that often gets overlooked is that that race, of course, world famous ocean race, well attended by rescue services, etc. That boat on its own down there, not in a race, they may not have been so lucky to get lifted off in time. Well, you've you've got two sets of circumstances, haven't you? you you've got the set of circumstance that probably, unless it was a race, and the assumption is that people have organised it, it must be safe, they probably wouldn't have even dreamt about sailing down there in a boat like that. And then, as you've said... Uh, the support that that level of racing has and those kinds of races yeah. has is such that they got off. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if that goes, if that happens to you under normal circumstances, you know, it might not easily, it might not be a boat within 500 or even no. a 1,000 miles of you. No. But, so anyway, anyway, well, much ado. Indeed. Really good. There's, there's loads of miss yeah. chatting over with you, yes, Dickie. Indeed. And uh, you can tell it's been a year. You can tell. And we can't yeah. stop talking. There's a lot of catching up to do. But let's uh, let's bring bring uh, uh, Brian Troutman on for yeah. part two of uh, Psychology of the Sea. And, indeed. And uh, I think uh, I think this was a good one. Yeah. So let's let's have a listen. Let's see what he's got to say. Another another subject that I'd like to ask you about. I mean, it seems fairly obvious, I think, to a lot of people. But the issue of 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 watches and how you rotate um, your watches, and particularly the detail of who calls who, is of great interest to me. Particularly in regards to how it uh, affects the crew. And what I mean by that is. Whether you do a three-hour watch or you do a four-hour watch, if you're doing single-stand watches, um, the thing that has caused more uh, problems and more uh, fractures in relationship has been the phenomena of crew being late on on their watch. Yeah. And uh, to the extent that, you know, again, comes back to the skipper. He's got he's got the job to do and to sort it out. But crew that turn up late on watch or come on to watch uh, in a circumstance that they're, I should say, not expected to. I, I always tell everybody, and we do it this way around because then there's, you know, no doubt that the, the crew coming on watch uh, brings a cup of tea up and a coffee, whether he wants one himself or not, or herself. And that's part of the duty. He comes up on watch, gets a briefing, uh, and and then the guy on watch goes off. And you know what's happened is the guys, some particular guys, some particular girls, just don't get on watch on time. And And when you're dog tired, particularly, I think, when you're on short-handed watches and you're doing three hours or about, uh, or, or there's three of you even, and you're doing three-hour watches about, you're still sleep-deprived, aren't you? Uh, especially <laughs> at the start start of the voyage, and it you know it causes big problems. Have you had that? Yes, um, <laughs> and 
kind of on a on a the the serious answer to that is we tend to put inexperienced people sandwiched between experienced people and so yes uh you know if if somebody has a question they don't wake up uh well i guess it, it sort of depends but i always ask people to wake up the person that just got off watch rather than the person that's going to come on watch so that the person coming on watch mm. has had their full block of, you know, three hours or sleep or whatever it is, depending on, on the number of people. Uh, the first couple nights that we're out will tend to do dual watches for inexperienced people. So there'll be like one person on standby mm. and they don't need to be outside, but they should kind of be like available. Maybe they're watching movies. Maybe they're reading a book. They're just kind of like ready to be woken up should something happen. And, yeah. and the inexperienced yeah, do person too, yeah. doesn't need it. Uh, on, on a less serious note, to get people to actually do their watch and do their horizon scans and be on time, you know, I, I used to be a, a software developer. And so one of the first things I wrote uh, was actually this little app that, that kind of lives on, on the navigation PC we had. And, and I, I literally downloaded a bunch of, we were, we were an all-male crew. It was just four, four guys, uh, you know, all in our 20s and 30s. And I downloaded a bunch of pictures of uh, scantily clad women and scantily clad guys. And if you, you know, every 15 minutes, a little timer would come up. And if you missed clicking the button that verified you'd done your, you know, your watch or, or you, you were actually there, uh, if, if you clicked it on time, you would get a nice appealing uh, picture of, of a naked lady. And if you happen to miss your watch or you're late every time, you click the button, it would not be a naked lady. It would be a naked dude. And so, I mean, that, that actually really, <laughs> really incentivized people to, to be on time and to, and to be kind of like... Shame we haven't got video. <laughs> well, I t yeah, I mean, in a, in a similar way, um, I have thought to try and instill the same uh, disciplines in people. I have imposed, or I've imposed, I... Is that the right word? <laughs> Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Implement. But, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, what I have is uh, even, and I, I find that quite rarely people do this once they become familiar with ocean sailing, but it's worked for me. I have an hour, uh, I, I, have the, I have the ship's log updated on the hour, on the hour, through the hour, every hour. Yeah. And I have a whole set of, elements in that um log to do with whether the engine's running whether the sails what the wind is what the wind strength is what the wind direction is um and blah 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 what the progress of the boat is and what its position is of course and, and so forth um and it's 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 uh it takes them a, a few minutes to do and it means they've got to go and check things yeah and um, right. the object of the exercise isn't that i need that information on the hour it's that i know that at very least once an hour they're getting off of their helm seat and going below um or picking up the book i, I always make it that they there's information they've got to find below deck as well as on deck so they can't just continue to sit there and they've got to complete that log and that makes people i think uh I th I think that makes people pay attention to the boat uh, and and to the circumstances. You know what is the 
what is the level in the running tank? Um, we've been on motor. What is the battery bank power? Um, is it going down? Is it going up? It works brilliantly well for me, um, and I, th I, I really would, you know, commend it. And I think it's the same kind of thing. You know, you're, you're, talk <laughs> you're talking about <laughs> a, a, a particular thing as well you've just touched on, which is being uh, not watching whilst being on watch. Yeah. And Christ, I've had that one so yeah. many times. Yeah. You know, to the extent we, we, I think you and I seem to have sailed an awful lot of similar uh, routes and, and certainly a lot of destinations. I sailed across the Indian Ocean um, and came into, was coming into Rodrigues. And uh, I came, luckily, I came back up, up, up on watch. And by the mind, we'd sailed two and a half thousand or 2,200 miles by then. We'd come from the previous stop was Christmas, uh, this was uh, Cocos Keeling. And I came, and so therefore, my crew of five guys had all done, you know, a good distance of sailing. They'd all sailed by that time, we were, you know, 10 days, 11 days. We were sailing quite well. But I came up on watch, and this guy who I had struggled with, I confess, I had struggled to get him to come to the party, as it were. And as I as my head comes up, he's sitting on the helm. I can see him sitting there, and I sort of scan round as you do, and we are less than quarter of a mile from a full blown oil tanker bearing straight down on us. Yeah, and uh, obviously I freaked out, and obviously span the helm, missed the boat, missed the ship by less than fifty meters, uh, and the guy. I'm, you know, screaming at him, of course, by now. I was, what the hell, what the hell, what what were you thinking? And he said, oh, yeah, he said, well, I reckon I'm, you know, I should have said this before, but my, you know, my sight's not that good. I don't know, and I often forget my glasses. Yeah. Oh. God, I've just <laughs> sailed 2,000 miles. Now you let me know. I can't see. He's hoping his guide dog is going to bark or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And I just looked at him in complete disbelief, this guy. And I just said, do you not realise you've got everybody's lives in your hands? Do you, what? Do you realise we were, we were going to get, that boat's not going to change direction for us. It's, yeah, it's so funny. Sail. Oh, yeah, sure. Rely on that one. Yeah. That you say yeah. that because that's, that's kind of exactly what, whenever I hand, the watch over to somebody, particularly the new people, those are often my last words, like, okay, for the next two hours, like all of our lives are in your hands. And I always make a point of saying that to people so that they realize that this is not a formality. Like it actually really matters that you stay alert and, and everybody lies yes. on this boat. It's, it's your responsibility right now. Even though you're the skipper, you're turning in and you've got to get your rest. Yep. And I think, I think you're right. Both, you know, Dick and you obviously touched on this. I think some crew think, well, he's the skipper. He knows what he's doing. He's given me the helm. Therefore, I haven't got to worry too much. He must know it's safe. <laughs> that's not the issue, is it? You want yeah, somebody doing it. Well put, Dick. Yeah, that's well put. <laughs> you want I mean, somebody you know, doing a 360, don't you? All the time. Yeah. And but, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, over the years, the technology has improved a lot. And so we didn't have these systems when we first left. But now, you know, 
the radar mm. is so low power. We run that all the time. Uh, yes. I have guard zone set up. I have AIS alarms. Um, and you know, if you, if you add up all these things and they just augment your normal kind of site. Another thing I ask people not to do is uh, use headphones. Um, if they want to listen to music, yes. like yes. that's cool. But uh, yes. I really yes. discourage headphones because you should be kind yeah, of big like, time. Uh, listening and. I don't think there should be even music on in the cockpit at night. Some people do that, which I don't like. I always turn it off. And I don't like those panels on the masts that give you the bearing and the course and all that stuff, which are race boat stuff. I tried to turn them off once, and he said, oh, they don't turn off. I was on watch. I'm going to get an old sail and put it over them because I, I can't see. Yeah, It's pitch black anyway. Really and he said, well, they have got covers. I said, well, put them on then. This is to the skipper. He put them on. I could then just about see. You've got half a chance haven't you of avoiding something mm. to me that's keeping a watch and i yeah. like people i know are going to well, do the, that the clues the clues in the name isn't it yeah exactly. it's watch yeah <laughs> right. uh, uh, here's, here's what i'm going to throw up or <laughs> throw, throw into the pot crew that without any conscience happily deliberately snuggle themselves up and go to sleep you had that one what on watch you mean? Yeah, on watch, on watch is what I mean. Yeah, have you had that one, Brian? Not that, not that I've ever known about or detected or suspected. Anyway, I actually think. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 it's happened to me only once, and this particular guy um, sailed with me from uh, Cocos Keeling to Singapore, and a crew of six, and every time he when it was his watch, he laid down across the cockpit, went to sleep. And obviously he didn't do that immediately. I was on watch, but um but he one of the other guys said to me, you know, Rob's Rob's going to sleep. I said, No, no, don't be stupid. So I came up and sure enough Rob was asleep. And uh I then said to him, you know, obviously I gave him a rude awakening and said to him, you know, what what the hell are you doing? He said, well, no, no. He said, well, I haven't seen anything for hours. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but he continued to do it, despite me giving him the speech that you've just given uh, to your every cruise, good idea, um, of, you know, look, everybody's life's in your hands. No, every, and, and I went below deck, um, came up again, bang, he's straight asleep. And I said to him, Rob, this is not going to continue, mate. You know, you need to understand this. I'm now on your case. You are going to do your watch. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to uh, somehow, I'm not going to absolve you of your responsibilities. You are going to do your watch. I just want to make it totally clear that the next time I find you asleep at the helm, I will wake you up with a bucket of seawater straight yeah. over you. <laughs> and I did. And he did. And he went to sleep again. Did you hit and him I with threw the bucket? A bucket of cold water over him. <laughs> nice. and he, of course, he thought I was a raving lunatic. But what choice? You know, this is what I'm saying. You know, you're the skipper. You're mm. not just responsible for him, you're responsible for everybody on board. And, and this guy was lethal. I mean, obviously, we parted company. He, he fell into the category that I've said, of the latter category of people I never want to see again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not on I, the deck of a ship. I no. honestly can't recall that ever happening. Um, I mean, I know that people do do sleep 
when they're sailing shorthanded. I, I spoke to a couple that was, was crossing the Indian Ocean because we sailed similar to you. Instead of going to Rodriguez, we went from Cocos Keeling to Chagos and then Chagos to Madagascar. And we met this uh, uh. couple on, on their catamaran. And I was like, well, how, how are you guys doing watches with two of you aboard? And they're like, oh, we just go to sleep for eight hours. And I was like, you cross the mm. entire Indian Ocean sleeping eight hours. Oh, yeah, we sleep great at sea. It's like, but that's, <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I know. I, I, I know. I, I've got a particularly good friend. He won't mind me saying he's, he's, he, he's likely to be listening to this. Um, he's out in New Zealand. He's a Brit. Uh, he, he's uh, his nickname is Ding. You've spoken to him actually, Dick. Yes, and, and done his sailor stories. A great guy, fantastic guy, and he sails in a Sweden fifty. And uh, yeah, he said, yeah, go to sleep, uh, set all the alarms, get up, and and it's never it's never caused me a problem. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it wouldn't until you're not there to ever recall that problem again, <laughs> you know. And, and it's, I find it, I I mean I I I've sailed single handed. A uh, fair fair bit of single-handed. Uh, I don't like it at all because I can't do that and just go to sleep. I'm not saying I've those times I didn't fall asleep. I did, but I was determined I would have 15 minutes and wake up and 15 minutes and wake up. Of course, you don't quite do that. It's, you know, alarm bells can be going off all around you when you're absolutely taken to the point. Yeah. Of, total exhaustion and you'll sleep through but um uh, i know i mean i i just couldn't ever come to the idea in my mind that i could be hurtling across this ocean you know like a lemming off a cliff with with you know and, and go to sleep uh, i'm i'm here i'm pleased to hear you you're agreeing with me there brian well i mean i've i've you know with this last year when uh when after we had sierra uh, we were, it was just Karen and I sailing the boat and, you know, we were sailing from Maine down to Florida and I was, because she, you know, we had a, a baby on board that was like, uh, she was four months old when we started the trip. And so that was, you know, she's a very young baby. She requires a lot of care. By the time we were sailing down to Florida, she was, had just turned a year. Um, and because of that and her sleeping schedule and baby diapers and everything else, I was basically doing 20 hour watches, uh, so which is basically single handy. Right. And then she would give me mm. yeah. a four hour spell from like, you know, midnight to four right. in the morning. Uh, and, you know, of course, you, there, there, if you think that you can do a, a 20 hour watch without losing your focus and needing to take a nap or sleep, like you're, you're just not being realistic. Uh, and so that's yeah. that's what I would do too. I would set the alarms, um, and uh, I would tell Karen, "Hey, I, I I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to go down for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is. I'll check things again. I just wanted you to know." And I would just lay down and sleep for a while. My alarm would go off. I'd wake mm. up a few minutes later, check things, head back down. What 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 do you what do you both consider um, as experienced skippers with with uh, not so much obviously it's difficult if you're in that situation, but when you've got crew that that keep um, turning in as Dick experienced. I'm wondering whether you whether one way of dealing with this, or if even if they're people that don't keep watch very well, they're they're there. They don't actually go to sleep, but they're they're more interested in their you know music or whatever. If you were to turn off the auto helm and force them to hand steer, would that would that do the trick, or is it normally people well, who can't sail anyway? It d- depends on the crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 
<laughs> that, that's, that presents its own. Yeah. That, that presupposes, Dick, that everybody can, can help a boat. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I think, you know, certainly I know your heritage, Dick, uh, came from dinghy sailing, certainly mine did. Um, I, I don't know about you, uh, Brian, but, um, you know, the kind of innate uh, understanding of how to helm a boat, I think, is greatly helped if you've sailed uh, as a kid in a dinghy. Um, but I have met people that, not many, uh, but a percentage, I'm going to say 5%. I have met 5%, I would think, of people that uh, just don't ever get it. And no. I, so, but I think it's a valid idea because you do have to find, you do have to find a solution. And, and, you know, I mean, uh, my solution was a bucket. He didn't go to sleep again after the bucket of cold water. I promise you that. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that is an interesting concept to turn the autopilot off. Uh, I mean, we, we, we do quite a bit of hand steering on Dulles cause I think it's, it's fun and, uh, it's great for people to learn to feel the waves, to feel the ocean, to, to know what's going on. It certainly makes them pay attention. So it's, yes, I'm a fan. Yes. I'm a fan. Yeah. I mean, for, personally, I, I find steering anyway, it, 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 it's helped me. I mean, I like steering and I can do it for as long as you want, really, because it, you, you, you are sort of getting a symbiosis with the, with the boat, not to sound too pretentious, I hope, but it, it and it also does keep you alert, keeps you awake keeps you aware of everything that's going on. The wind, slightest wind change, doesn't it? The way the mm. sea state you, uh, and anything else that's out there. If you're steering, um, you're going to know if something else is there pretty much because you are looking all the time. So just mm. a thought. But. Yeah, it's just, it's just a question, Dick. If, you, you know, if you've got a tough crossing, you're short-handed. Yeah. Um, you got a tough crossing. You, you can't short, tie yourself out, no. You, you're short-handed and... You know, three hours on, uh, three hours off in heavy weather is bloody, bloody, Very bloody demanding. tough. Of if course. you've if you've got more crew, yeah, and you've got, and I'm gonna say, I think it, the figure is six hours. If you've got six hours off off watch, and although that will leave people feeling, so some people feeling tired, actually, um, six hours is a decent enough kit to refresh yourself and then by the time you get your next six hours off you're probably catching catching up hey brian have you found um i suppose it sounds like you've most you've done most of your sailing with you know a, a relatively good sized crew but i've done a fair bit of mine uh two and three handed and the peculiar thing i've found is that people, you know, so you're doing, you're doing three hours. I generally, if, if I'm very shorthanded and it's just two of us, I'll do three. I, I don't quite do the three hour thing. What I do is I do three hours on watch and a preliminary period, uh, sorry, three hours off watch and a preliminary period of getting ready of 15 minutes and a preliminary and an exit period of 15 minutes so that there's a swap round. It does make it more difficult to calculate. Perhaps that keeps you awake. But I I think that once you go below three hours sleep, it really hurts. 
and uh, and then affects people's ability to concentrate and stay uh, on the ball. But um, I've found that when people are doing short-handed uh, sailing like that, when they're not on the helm, they're sleeping. And I've, I've noticed myself too. I've noticed I'm... What's going on? I'm sleeping 12 hours a bloody day here. Well, certainly and, the um, first three days or something, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, have you have you noticed that? You yeah. Just, I mean, we... Because we, you don't get proper sleep, you've got to get every sleep. It, it usually takes me about three to four days, and usually I find mm. by, by the third or fourth day, the crew is sort of alive and hanging out, and, and prior to that, everybody is just getting every ounce of sleep that they can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I do think yeah, six okay, hours okay. is a is a manageable number if you have three people on the boat and you're doing you know three hours on, three hours off. Then you get you know with the three person rotation, you're getting six hours minus a few minutes to get up early because you know we, like you said, we we ask people to wake themselves up. So you know both for safety. So if, if you're on watch, nobody's going to come down and and wake you up. You're gonna wake up for your own watch. You're gonna set your alarm because you're a big boy or girl. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't do that. I, I, yeah, I, I understand why you're doing that. Uh, I don't do that for the reasons that I have found that people become so aggravated about somebody being late on watch. We almost got on this before that I make it the responsibility of the helmsman to. Uh, come off the helm, obviously if they can, if they're hand steering, they can't, yeah. but uh, to come off the helm and go and wake that person up. And it's not because that person necessarily needs waking up. It's because they feel then good about the fact that they know that pe- person has been woken up and he's going to come and relieve them. Uh, quite, uh, quite, that quite works, I think, for, for, for us. I know it should be everybody's responsibility uh, to get themselves up, get themselves ready, and to decide how long they need before the watch. But I found that the, the and I've done it myself, staring, staring down into the, into the you know, uh, below deck. Oh, is he? Oh, Christ, is he got up? Oh, Jesus, I'm so tired. Oh, you know, oh, you know I, don't, I don't hear the toilet go. I, I can't hear the kettle going on. So rather than have that angst and then the guy be two minutes late maybe on watch and then whoever's yeah. on watch tearing them a new one um rather than that you just go go wake them up hey ho and you, you feel so much better because you know you know they're you know that you know they're awake that's how i've i've gone at it um yeah quite quite a long time now that idea but uh, i wanted to come back um brian uh, to you about we were talking earlier about all female crew because I think you've got quite an interesting uh, case history of when you were sailing. I believe it was from uh, was it uh, Mexico to Panama, uh, and you were having to skirt areas where there were piracy, and you had your wife, your daughter, and and a granddaughter, I think, on board. Oh, uh, we had. Let's see, my wife, uh, my daughter, and then we had. Uh, another uh, three crew join us. One had been sailing with us for about two, almost three months already. Uh, her name was Taylor, and and uh, she's quite a good sailor. Has her own boat. Has her own. She has her own YouTube channel, in fact. And then we met 
two other girls uh, who it turns out that had, had started, one of them had started watching our videos with her dad when she was like 12 years old and ended up uh, moving mm. to Key West and buying a boat um, because she got inspired by the lifestyle. And I thought that was quite cool. So we invited her and her best friend, uh, who they were both quite young. They were uh, 19 years old, um, but great sailors. They were working on a charter catamaran. They wanted to get, you know, to, they wanted to do a long passage to see what it was like. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was me and, and uh, uh, four, four ladies plus my daughter, Sierra. Right. Okay. Sorry about the granddaughter. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, coming, coming. She's only she's uh, only three years old. No, she's two years old. So still got a while. <laughs> a bit early, fair enough. So what was the what was the problem there? Because I think you were worried about piracy, were you? Or you did you, you have to sail further out? Or yeah, I mean, like you a... know that 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 particular area of the coast over the last two two and a half three years, there's a number of reports uh, both on the the I can't remember the exact name, but there's a, a the Caribbean kind of like security and safety. That uh, reports on noon site and then oh, there's yes. a, a number of Facebook groups you can follow for like the Rio Dolce in Guatemala and stuff that had listed a, a bunch of incidents that had happened usually within 100 and mm. 120 miles of the coast where mm. boats were getting boarded. Um, one boat in particular got actually they just took the whole boat, they run it, ran it aground, they stripped it. Uh, and so for me, you know, I it's just it's it I, I feel like. I felt more risk adverse in that situation as opposed to yes. if mm. it was me and like three or four other kind of like dudes, I just didn't want to take any chances, especially with my daughter on board. No. So mm. um, we ended up sailing, yeah. you know, an extra 300 miles um, around right. the coast and, uh, and running dark. And what was the, inf- all right. And, and um, how did the, the all girl crew handle that? I mean, did you warn them in advance that, there was yeah. a risk and you were going further. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we talked about the problem before we left Mexico, why it was there. You know, they're, they're not bad people. They're just in a hard economic situation, similar to what's happening off the mm. coast of Venezuela. They're not kidnapping people like they're doing in, you know, so, uh, southeastern uh, Philippines, Zamboanga Peninsula, stuff like that. They're, they're after personal property, money, cash, gear. And so we, we kind of had a chat that, you know, about our tactics on how we were going to minimize our risk. And then if we were, were approached, what we were going to do. Um, and if we got boarded, uh, how we were going to handle that, just so that everybody could kind of get in that mental state that uh, our lives weren't worth any of the property. Yeah, I think it's yeah. good to, you were saying earlier, Dick, that you think that, um, you know, there's a certain amount of people that think, oh, well, you know, Skipper knows what he's doing. I don't have to. I certainly do think, uh, and although, uh, as you know, I was saying earlier, it's not a democracy. Uh, at the same time, I think it's vital to include everybody in what's going on. Not necessarily, you know. I think sometimes, uh, and and I know others that think, oh, that's wrong. But I think you can, you know, even decisions that you're going to make look, hey, guys, there's this situation here and there's that situation there, and I'm tending to go thinking we're going to go and do that. You know, what do you think about that? Um, And because it's important that you carry everybody with you, isn't it? You know, coming back to the psychology of it all, um, 
it's important that everybody buys into it. Yeah. And it's important that people take responsibility for their own risk, mm. right? Like, you know, my, my yeah. daughter is too young to do that. She's only two years old. Um, so, yeah. you know, I'm making decisions for her and my wife, Karen, is making decisions for her. But the other right. girls, they were young yeah, between the ages of 19 and, and 21. But, you know, they're, they, they were able to get the information, make decisions and say, are you comfortable doing this? And if so, which, you know, which weapon do you want? Should something, you know, happen? We're all going to run right. out on deck like a bunch of crazy people and, and not look like an easy easy target you know how do you want to do that and what are you yeah. comfortable with yeah yeah sure i think that the dick's point there which uh which I, I find quite interesting and there's a very good case if you haven't read it please do um uh, we're talking about the loneliness really of the skipper's position with regard to responsibility joseph conrad uh, wrote in his book mirror of the sea which isn't a novel it's a it's an autobiographical about crossing the south atlantic in a square rigger they've had no, there's been eight eighth cloud cover for days on end. They've had no, um, been able to take no celestial sights at all. So they don't know where they are. They've been pooped. Uh, the skylight's broken in. All the charts are soaking wet. And the skipper has to take all this and look after his crew and the cargo and all the rest of it. And he calls Conrad up uh, and asks him what he thinks about where they are. He doesn't quite phrase it like that because he knows he doesn't know either. Um, Conrad is second officer and Conrad doesn't want to give him the he doesn't want to commit himself because he knows he doesn't know where he is either and and it's this it's this that's what struck me is how lonely it is for the skipper uh, when it's all on him and he's really almost like a child asking for someone else to to give his opinion on where they are and what happens next is that they actually do catch they get a sight after another few days and it's actually of um, of the lizard. So they were much nearer to England than they thought they were. And at that point, the skipper says, ah, oh, I thought we were there. <laughs> <laughs> so once he's had confirmation, he's quite yeah. happy to take the role on again. Yeah. So anyway, it's a lonely place, and you guys must both know that. It is, and I think, you know, this comes back to uh, the situation that you just have to understand. Um when you are taking on the responsibilities of, of skipper, you 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 have to understand that it's reasonable for your crew to think you know what you're doing. Yes, yes, uh, you, quite. There's yeah, an awful lot point. of skippers that don't yeah. know, seem, no. don't seem to know what they're doing, and mm. and head off and do some quite crazy things uh, in circumstances that then, on occasion, sometimes go wrong. Um, and, you know, I know for an example uh, of a guy that uh, was wanting to deliver um, a Beneteau 64, I think it was, or 63-64. And this guy's an experienced uh, sailor, um, but he wanted to get this boat across the Philippines. I think it was his own uh, brokerage, and he was the distributor. Um, he was going from Hong Kong. And he gathered a, uh, his crew together and there was going to be five guys and himself. There's six guys going to do this passage. And, uh, and yeah, okay, fine. One was a Filipino guy that was a boat boy as a profession. He wasn't a boy at all. He was a man and he knew how to sail very well. 
and the day before, two days, the day before they were leaving, a, a typhoon was forecast to cross from the Philippines towards Vietnam, uh, straight across the path that they were intended to go. And, uh, and the skipper called it on and said, no, no, yeah, look, you know, they always drift further south at you know, this time of the year and it's not going to be a problem. And off they went, except for the one Filipino guy who didn't go and refused to go and said and was told by the skipper, you'll never work again. That's your lot. I'm the skipper. You do as I tell you. And if you don't, you'll never work again. And I'll make sure you never get any work in Hong Kong. He was actually the only guy that ever did get any more work in Hong Kong because the other five crew on the 63 Beneteau sadly were lost um, and they yeah the whole lot went down because uh, the uh, typhoon did track right across them and unbelievably went he went without a life raft God. as well and that's, people that's you know this guy made that decision uh, and of course rightly so and didn't abdicate his own beliefs to the skipper. That's everybody's right, of course, to do that. But the right of the crew, nonetheless, the abiding right above that, I'm totally convinced of, is that the crew, the skipper, must take his role extremely seriously and he must be competent in everything that uh, he can do to provide the best circumstances for his crew. And I, that, to me, is a, strays into another thing which I don't think, and is illustrated by this point, that that doesn't mean once he's at sea, that means the boat that he's going to go in and the voyage he's going to go under and the crew that he's going to take and all of the kit and caboodle that's on that boat. That responsibility, uh, in my view, starts well, well before you ever get to sea. Um, and uh, uh, I think, you know, that's a, that's a strong thing. Yes, you're talking about loneliness, Dick, and, and it is, it can be. At the same stage, having said all of that, I think it's so important for a skipper to be able to be approached and listened to yeah. by his crew. Cause sometimes it's because they're frightened. Oh. Yeah. yeah, of course. No. Some, or they yeah. don't know. They're or... frightened. They're petrified. Yeah. You know, I, I've had crew... Uh, you assume it to be okay. You, you you've had crew getting frightened when the boat heels over. Yeah. They haven't understood that the boat has got a keel on the bottom of it, kind of thing. It's as naive as that. And people do get very frightened, and they're entitled. You know, they're entitled to be able, just the same as you you do when you get on a jet plane, to be able to rely on the competence of of that skipper. And I think it's a it's a duty that somebody shouldn't take on lightly. I, I hope you no. agree with that, uh, Brian and Dick. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and mm. talking about yeah. the initial thought and planning, uh, and I've I've improved this myself over the years because I used to think like, oh, what the hell? It's just wind and waves. We're gonna go out sailing. We're gonna do this passage because we can make it. And that was like the first two years. And then after getting the shit kicked out of myself a number of times, I came to the realization <laughs> that we're not commercial sailors. We're not merchant Marines. We're actually recreational sailors. And we're actually doing this to have fun. 
And so sure. once I, <laughs> I joined that mindset and then I decided that, you know, we were going to just do it if it was good and fun. And so if we sit and wait, we do. And, and, uh, you know, we, we often go with this tactic of lis- listening to, uh, the thoughts of the most conservative person on board. Um, because if, if mm. somebody oh, that's interesting. doesn't yeah. have that, so that kind of... then, you know, maybe, maybe their beliefs mm. will be unfounded or maybe it will be not correct or maybe they don't realize that there is a keel on the bottom of the boat and she is going to heel over but not turn over and that's perfectly that's perfectly normal um you know just i I think letting people know that it's okay to to approach us and to talk about that is a pretty big Mm. deal to people and and in turn helps them to feel a little bit more comfortable and there's been times where we've actually called a sail off and i i i admit yes. i was wrong mm. i was like i think this you will must, be yeah. will yeah. be a great sale and and karen's like i honestly don't really want to beat into 30 knots and i'm like okay no, no. that's fine we'll wait another week mm. it doesn't matter to me yeah. uh we we have that mm. luxury mm. not not everybody else does yes true there is a strange pressure isn't there from the novice uh even in my i haven't done the great ocean ranging that uh that uh, you uh, Brian and you, Dick, have both done, but I've done plenty of coasting stuff, and even that can be, you know, two or three days offshore and stuff. But it's when you get the the newcomer, there's mad. You meet them in the pub; they're mad keen to go with you. A date is set, and you look at the weather and you say, "Well, sorry, but we're not going." Well, it looks all right. Come on, sure oh. it's okay. I said, "No, mm. we're not going to go." And they think you're sort of you feel a bit of a wimp, but by God, I'd rather do that any time than set yes. off and for them to find out. I had one guy once who said to me. But there's the lifeboat. I said, yeah, I know there's a lifeboat. He said, well, they can pick. I said, no, it's not an AA service. They don't come and pick you up because you've run out of petrol. Well, that's what they're for, isn't it? I said, no, we're no. not going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, same, true. As you know, Dick, I'm in, in diving heavily and, uh, you know, uh, been dive master of uh, various clubs and uh, that, you know, I've been involved in. And you call a dive... Uh, you call a dive off because uh, the weather's not looking right. You you know, guarantee you got somebody telling you, yeah, no, you know, look, look, I think we'll be all right. Mm, nah, not doing it. And you have to stick to your guns, don't you, Brian? Yeah, and sometimes that's the harder decision to make. Yeah. Yes, yes. But look, you know, I mean, mm. uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it seems this discussion could carry on <laughs> for several hours more. I'm sure it, I'm sure it could because it's an intriguing one. But uh, I'm mindful, Brian, that we've had a great deal of your time and uh, your thought and uh, ideas and and, and you've very kindly shared with us a lot of great experiences. And uh, I think think Tristan's probably going to run out of tape soon (laughs) if we do that anymore. But it's been really great and thank you very much. I look forward to – it seems we've sailed in so many places in the similar direction. Uh, and in, in, in and arrived in de- similar destinations, we were pretty well bound to bump into each other uh, oh, at I, some point. The, in the, the, the sailing world is—it's a lot smaller than most people realize. So it's, yeah, it yeah. Is. it's amazing. Anyway, I was, great. We, we bump into people all the time from years past, and I I love it. Pick right back up. Yeah, you do. Side. It's nice. Eh? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we'll we'll see you guys out there. Thanks. I appreciate your time. Yep. And all right. Thanks Nothing. for letting Thanks me ramble so on with Thank my you, stories. Dude. Okay. <laughs> all right. All the best. You guys have a good night. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
Well, that was a side of Brian Troutman I hadn't heard before. Uh, I think we got under the skin there a little bit. And, uh, you know, he revealed a fair bit. Well, yeah, hopefully we got under the skin and didn't get under his skin. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, uh, no, no, yeah, it was it was very interesting. You know, Brian's generally sounds, which I hadn't appreciated perhaps so much, sound, you know, with more crew and less experienced crew than I. Yeah. I normally sail with less people, but, you know, they mostly know what they're doing. Not always, as we've earned. So he takes people on... I suppose, you know, more interesting video and, and stuff like that. Lots of different people right. yeah. changing around for their YouTube channel. Um, and uh, But no, it, same kind of problems. Mm. Same kind of problems. People yeah. taking responsibility for what they're doing. And, and you know, also the kind of uh, responsibilities that fall on the skipper. And... Uh, and the decisions that the skipper has to make and how he has to make them. Well, as you've said before, it's a lonely place. Whether yeah, it is. And, and, you know, whether they're old friends, as they usually are in your case, or whether they're new newcomers, as in Brian's case. Yeah, it's I still, think to some extent, although I have probably had less problems per mile, when I've had problems amongst longer-term friends, it's been more difficult, perhaps, to yeah, deal so with it because... That. You know, now you have to stop being a mate and you have to yeah. be the skipper yeah. and you have to have the stony stare and you have to just say, yeah, it's not what we're going to do. We're going to do yeah. this, yeah. you know. So, uh, but anyway, it was, I think it was an absolute brilliant one. And uh, and, we, and we've got some good stuff coming up, haven't we? We have indeed. Um, I'm personally very much looking forward to speaking to David Wilkinson, yeah. who I interviewed for the magazine some couple of years ago now. Uh, and that was interesting enough, but we're going to expand on that much more, I think. And the great thing about him is he is a, he's an open book, that boy. And he's he a very quite, authentic guy. He is. He's, uh, that's the, I think. You're not, there's no spin here. There's no agenda. No. You know, and I really do like that. It'll it, it be very coy about us blowing days. this level of smoke. Well, true. Um, <laughs> he will. He will, because he's, you know. He's he, not like but that. But he, he's a very straight guy. He is. And, and what and we are going to be talking to him about, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, by absolutely nailing it. But I am going to tell everybody that's listening uh, to this, uh, to the podcast, that you don't want to miss this one because what he did was truly, truly, truly extraordinary. And if he'll allow us to, which I've got to talk to him about yet, and I, but I think he will, I want to, I want, I want, to actually to talk about why he did it and so it's an intriguing thing this yeah. and it really is exciting and uh, I reckon it'll be a great one well I know there's a I know there's a reason and you because you have told me and obviously he either goes into it or he doesn't but even for the magazine uh, outside of that he did say he wanted to learn what fear was which I thought yeah. was fascinating and he did have a rich conclusion which again we won't preempt no, the show. no, no. Let's let's but, let's just yeah. keep let's just keep let's yeah. just keep the uh, keep the, the fishes biting. Let's just keep <laughs> them keep them wondering what it exactly was all about. But we will cover it, I'm yeah. sure. And also, um, of course, you've been away. Yes, indeed. And in the last couple of days, you went, where did you go? Did you went I, up to Bakewell? I didn't did you go to Bakewell, did? famous for its iced cakes. <laughs> 
But uh, no, anyway, while you were away, uh, not exactly sunning yourself in the Peak District, I understand, <laughs> um, I talked to um, Adam and Chiara of Sailing Millennial Falcon. Uh, and I thought I'd, I, I really wanted to talk to them again. It's been a long time since uh, we touched base with them. I really do like this couple. I think they have, again, I, I'm going to say, uh, you know, authentic. They've launched, a, or rather, actually, Adam with another guy has launched another uh, uh, channel, which is called Midshipman. Oh, and, okay. uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk to him about that. It's a shame you couldn't have been in on that one. Um, but uh, they only had a very small window that, of opportunity right. we could talk to them. Uh -huh. so, so that one's coming up as well. Okay. But we've got some other really great ones for follow on. And just so as everybody really, you know, uh, understands, you know, we will we will keep this up now. I I have a lot of fun doing it. I think you. Yeah, are it's good. It's good. Uh, it's, it's and 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 you know, it it seems to be going down quite well. So if you were just talking to the ether, then fair enough. But we appear not to be. No, I, fifty thousand people <laughs> bad, listen it? to us, oh. Dick. I know. I mean, you know, they might have questioned why. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a, yeah. a couple of old uh, a couple of old gets going on about our sailing experiences and other. Well, right. uh, I hope it continues to be well, uh, well, both informative out. and and, yeah. and and fun and interesting yeah. to listen to. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's good night from me, and it's good night from me. 